welcome back to the FearCast. So, the FearCast, for those of you who are new to it, uh, and this is the second episode, so you're, you're probably new to it, but um, so this is a podcast that's going to be dedicated to treatment and recovery from OCD and anxiety uh, spectrum disorders. So um, the first episode, for those of you who visited the website, for those of you who answered questions on Reddit, thank you so much. Oh man, I was surprised. I was so surprised that I got such a, a, an amazing uh, response from uh, the people both on Reddit, again, those of you who visited the website, for those of you who answered questions or submitted questions through the website, um, and uh, for those of you who've submitted uh, or went to the the Facebook page. Um, it, it means so much to me that, um, uh, that, that there was this type of response and there was so much response. Um, and uh, it's, it's certainly encouraging and uh, it, it get, gets me motivated to want to do more episodes. So um, I apologize for the, the, uh, the long uh, span of time between the previous episode and this one. Um, I was on, I am on paternity leave. So I'm not in the office. I'm not doing stuff. And where I am doing stuff, I'm doing a lot of stuff, which is namely not sleeping and trying to keep a human baby alive, uh, which is um, easier and harder than you'd think if you're new at it, which I am. Uh, so for those of you who have kids and that's old news to you, um, you're probably giggling, giggling and laughing at how. Um, uh, how I probably sound really exhausted. Uh, it might be because I am, but um, eh, who knows who cares. So um, so again, thank you so much for people who had uh, uh, visited the website, listened to the previous podcast. Um, so this first bit of the podcast is typically going to be a, an opening segment uh, talking about some type of uh, uh, aspect of OCD, some type of aspect of anxiety, uh, a treatment uh, 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 tool or technique, something like that. And then we're going to go into questions. Um, however, this whole main segment is also a question because Ashley submitted a, a question through the submit a question uh, link at fearcastpodcast.com. By the way, you can submit your questions through the website. You go to fearcastpodcast.com, uh, navigate over to the submit a question link, uh, and it will uh, prompt you to submit a question there. And I do read all the questions. I will consider them for future, uh, um, future podcasts. You can also give me a call the phone number is 714-594-9281. Again, that's 714-594-9281. You can give me a call there, and I'll try to put that question in uh, in a future episode. So Ashley, through the website, submitted a question. She asked, can you do a podcast on existential OCD? So Ashley, yeah, yeah, I can do an episode on existential OCD. So here it is. So existential OCD is a subtype of, of OCD, of obsessive compulsive disorder. So there is a bunch of information online about existential OCD. There's going to be some blog posts you can find. Uh, there are going to be some good books out there that will have a, a little bit on existential OCD. So I don't think that I'm going to be the end-all be-all of information um, uh, uh, through this podcast. But uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do a couple of things. So first, I'm going to go over a couple of the basics surrounding what existential OCD is, um, how it's OCD, how it fits into the general pattern of OCD. 
I'm going to also go into some common obsessions, some common compulsions with it, uh, talk about some treatment aspects of it, um, and then go over a little bit of an exercise at the end. But um, one thing that I do want to do, and uh, if you do listen to the end of the episode, we're going to go over some of these things. Uh, I'm going to go over some of the answers to uh, to some of the most common existential questions that my uh, that, that my clients uh, suffer with, or and uh, some other folks who uh, uh, experience existential OCD. So if you listen through to the end of the podcast, um, some of those questions that uh, are really common with existential OCD, I'm, I'm actually going to answer. So I'm going to give you some of those, uh, uh, some of that, uh, some of that information that hopefully you're, you're probably looking for. So, but you are going to have to listen through to the end. Right off the bat, I just want to dispel a bit of a misnomer, a bit of a misconception that people have about OCD. You're going to hear a lot about these different subtypes. It's going to be existential OCD. There's going to be relationship OCD. There's going to be HOCD, which is uh, shorthand for homosexual OCD or sexual orientation OCD. There's going to be harm OCD. There's going to be all sorts of stuff. Um, a lot of people do get really bent out of shape about the different subtypes and uh, uh, that one needs to be treated especially different from another, or that um, uh, this one is worse than all the others, or this one over here. Uh, you, you hear this one a lot, actually, um, from from a lot of the folks who have pure o OCD. Um, they'll say, "Oh man, I, 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 it must be so easy just to have simple like washing, checking OCD because it's just it's so easy. I mean, I I can stop washing my hands. It's super easy." So you'll hear different types of people talking about, or different folks with OCD talking about their OCD being worse or better, but they're, they're all the same. They're ultimately speaking, all subtypes of OCD are going to be the same in that they follow the same OCD pattern. So they, all, they are all going to be unwanted, intrusive thoughts, feelings, images, sensations, or urges, and they're all going to cause some type of significant distress. So the DSM uh, calls it marked distress. That's, it, it causes significant pain. So this isn't the standard like, oh man, I hate when things are out of order. Uh, oh man, I, I hate, you know, I, I don't like when my hands are sticky either, but eh, whatever. It, it, it's going to cause some severe anxiety, some severe discomfort, and it's really going to get in the way of some aspect of your life. So existential OCD can have some commonalities between some other types of OCD. So there are going to be some aspects that'll fall kind of into a religious scrupulosity aspect. There's going to be some stuff that might even fall into a relationship OCD aspect of things. But again, um, the, the, the pattern of OCD is going to be what we're looking for. If there's going to be a trigger... Uh, that can be a thought, a feeling, an image, sensation. It can be an urge, uh, which leads into this the, this, the obsession, which I like to call the feared story. It's this thing that you're, it's the story that your brain tells you about what's going to happen to you, around you, because of you, um, it, it, in, in the hereafter. It, it's something your brain tells you is going to happen. And from that, you typically feel really uncomfortable. You don't like the outcome of that. That story sucks. Um, so we're going to do a compulsion. That compulsion is going to be anything that we can do to try to get rid of that feeling or try to solve the problem or to try to answer that question or to gain some type of knowledge. Um, and then we, we believe that once we get that answer, once we get that reassurance, then everything's just going to be okay, that we're going to be happy again, that we're going to be whole again, um, or, or ultimately that we're just going to feel safe again, uh, safe and certain. 
Um, and, and that's the deception, ultimately, that, uh, that, that we're going to get that answer. But uh, there, there's still that promise out there. So with existential OCD, it's oftentimes having to deal with questions about the ultimate purpose in life. Um, they can be questions about, again, back to the religious stuff, it can be questions about my ultimate purpose on earth. It can be the meaning of life. It can be what is my true, um, what is my true calling? What is my occupation? What am I truly good at? Uh, it can be other things uh, relationally. It can be things like, how do I know my partner? Uh, how do I know I and my partner love each other in the same way? Do we experience the same sensations? Are we experiencing the same feelings? Um, uh, some people will talk about how, uh, you know, are, are you and I seeing the same color red? So these are the, or, or any other colors, or um, are we hearing the same things? Do we have the same experiences? So these are these big, broad questions, these philosophical questions that uh, sometimes we all ask, but uh, those folks with existential lucidity will get caught up on it. I really want you to resist struggling with the content of the obsession and stop treating it as if it were special. So here are some common obsessions that folks with existential OCD deal with. And again, I'm going to miss some. These are just some examples. You can go online and find some others. So some of them are going to be, uh, what is the meaning of life? What if I never find my purpose? How do I know that this is all real? So uh, this kind of falls into two camps. Uh, how do I know that this isn't a simulation? Uh, or how do I know I'm not in a coma? So this is where the matrix kind of gets stuck in there or inception, things like that. Um, another one is, how do I know I'm seeing the same colors as you, as I, as I previously mentioned? Um, what if I'm completely forgotten after I die? And what if everything I did meant nothing? Uh, another one, uh, why am I the person that I am? So this is kind of related to why it is that I have OCD. So it can be, where, where did it all come from? What was the thing that I experienced way back in the day uh, that caused me to have it? Um, and people can get really caught up in those things. Because the, the answers to those can be really uncomfortable, or uh, we, a person with existential OCD will really want to know that the answer to it, uh, it's going to lead to these compulsions. So for some, the compulsions are going to be hours and hours and hours of researching answers to get questions about the universe. There's going to be folks who will read uh, philosophy, folks will um, watch various movies um, about the, the, the meaning of life. Some folks will uh, do a, uh, as I mentioned, uh, do a deep dive into philosophical readings to find out what these uh, you know, the, the mental masters had to say about, um, about the meaning of life and who we are and what experiences. Uh, they might even get into um, uh, deep into psychology and trying to read a lot about um, uh, cognitive psychology or social psychology. Uh, you can get into uh, uh, spiritual or religious aspects of things just to try to get to those bigger questions, the hereafter questions, the ultimate questions. Some folks will also uh, mentally review uh, their situations from the past or their pre previous experiences to see if they had a good or bad feeling about something. So um, they can kind of think about that if they uh, if, if they felt right or they felt good about a, a, a situation they were in or a time they were in, kind of sometimes with the simulation existential OCD, they'll think back to see if they had uh, the, the the appropriate feelings. Did they feel right? Did they feel like? Did they feel like that they were really connected to to who they really are, connected to the now? Um, and they'll go through all of those things just to try to get to, you know, a little bit of sense of certainty. Yeah, I, I know who I was at the time, so therefore I, I know that this was real, uh, at least at that time. 
treatment for existential OCD, we, we generally treat with uh, cognitive behavioral therapy and exposure and response prevention. So very briefly, CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, we're going to look at the thoughts we have and how it impacts our behaviors. It's pretty much that simple. So from the thoughts that we have, it's certainly going to impact what we do about them. So where we start with that is something called cognitive restructuring. Now, this is where the average therapist is going to go through the thoughts that you have, and they're going to start to question and start to work through uh, the legitimacy of the thoughts. Do they make sense? Do they not make sense? Can we start to challenge them? Can we start to think about them in a different way? The problem with that when it comes to existential OCD is that's oftentimes where the compulsion is. There's going to be a lot of thought about, does this all make sense? A lot of thinking. And this is this thought, existential OCD falls into one of those pure O uh, uh, ca- uh, categories. I'm actually not going to go over a whole lot of uh, cognitive restructuring here because generally speaking, that's the problem. And that's usually a trap. So we're going to skip past that. Um, Some of the common uh, uh, exposures you might do for this, uh, and exposures are going to be things, intentional things that we do to try to amp up and to try to experience that sense of anxiety so that we can tolerate that sense of fear, that sense of discomfort. If we, there's this old saying, if you want to feel something less, feel it more. And eventually it will start to subside. You can think about it as uh, uh, thinking about jumping into a hot tub or jumping into the ocean. When you first jump into it, it feels really uncomfortable. It's either really hot or it feels really cold. Um, but if you stay in it for, I don't know, 10 minutes or so, uh, it starts to feel less uncomfortable. Your body starts to get used to it. And there's no way that your body is so hot or so cold that you changed the temperature of the ocean or change the temperature of the hot tub, uh, it's that uh, your body just adapted. And that's what we do with OCD and our anxiety. We can habituate to all manner of things. Um, So that's what we're trying to do with these fears and these thoughts. So some of the common uh, ERP or common exposures that we do with that, uh, uh, we might do or think things that produce that fear. So for some people, it might be watching movies about existential questions, uh, some uh, the two ones off the top of my mind are Inception and The Matrix. So, um, for obvious reasons, are you know how do I know that I uh, that, that my intentions are true? Did is that thought put into me? Another one is, you know, how, is this all real? Are we just living in some type of uh, false reality that uh, is created by some machine or just the figment of my imagination? Or is the person across from me actually real or just uh, fake? Another exposure one can do is uh, posting or reading existential questions. Uh, so some of the feared thoughts that you might have, you can post them up all over your house. Um, you can read through a whole list of them and, uh, and then resist the urge to go back in and, and answer them to try to solve them, things like that. Um, another, people will go and do uh, recorded scripts about never getting the answers to your questions uh, and tolerating that sense of feeling because, again, we're trying to kick up that sense of anxiety uh, and then resist the urge, the response prevention piece to uh, to try to solve that. So we're, we're feeling a discomfort while resisting the urge to try to intentionally get comfortable. Uh, paradoxically, the anxiety oftentimes subsides. We just have to get a little, a little bit of time. 
Some other exposures you can do, some people will go to a church or a, 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 a religious place. Sometimes that can kick up their anxiety. Um, uh, uh, again, back to, uh, or similar to posting existential questions, um, just going online and uh, uh, reading philosophy or get, going to books, reading uh, philosophical books about uh, the meaning of life, and uh, that can be uncomfortable, but uh, I, doing your best to then resist trying to answer it or to try to see how it applies to yourself or spending excessive amounts of time thinking about how it applies to yourself. This last one can be really dangerous uh, and, and should be discussed with a therapist who really does know you, knows your symptoms, so that you can get down to, or so you can decide whether or not that's actually a compulsion you're doing or would be a legitimate and worthwhile exposure. So that's kind of existential OCD in a nutshell. Yeah, it's more complex than that, but it's a podcast and I don't have a whole lot of time. So what I want to move on to, though, is uh, one of the questions that we often have is, have is uh, how do I know it's actually OCD and not genuine existential questions? So something to think about is that we all deal with existential questions at some point in our life. And generally speaking, they're, they're not bad. It, it, it can be bigger questions like, what's, what is the meaning of life? Uh, why, why am I here? What do I want to get out of this life? What is there to get out of this life? Other existential questions can be, is there a grander connection between all people? Do we have uh, something between us or, or within us that is uh, deeper and meaningful and um, kind of binds us all socially and emotionally and spiritually together? Um, th these can be questions that we all answer or that we all ask ourselves at some point in our life or we may ask these questions at some point in our life. So with these existential questions, we think about them we worry about them, we stress about them, we see how they apply to our lives. And when it's not existential OCD, we create a sense of meaning for ourselves, uh, a, a bit of a guiding light for ourselves, a, uh, a, a, a purpose. Um, it helps to create our worldview. It helps to create the, uh, the beliefs that we have about ourselves, about other people. It can lead to uh, spiritual beliefs. It can lead to religious beliefs. It can lead to political convictions. And all of these things, generally speaking, are, are good things. But within that is that we we usually also recognize that we, we can't get the answers to everything because uh, people have spent thousands and thousands and thousands of years trying to get those answers, and uh, they haven't come up with them. In our own existential process, we usually then give up on the full answering of them and somehow then take what we have gleaned from it and move on with our life. Now, when that doesn't happen, that's when we get stuck, and that's when it starts to become the existential OCD. And if you have uh, uh, OCD or, or uh, anxiety leanings, that oftentimes will it can lead into uh, uh, getting stuck into that, especially if it becomes this incredible, important, meaningful thing to you, or the, the I have to answer this sort of thing. Like with every OCD fear that, or every anxious thought that we can ever have, uh, these existential thoughts by themselves are neutral, either good nor bad, right nor wrong. They're just thoughts that we can have. Some of us really get something meaningful out of it. Some of us get stuck in them. So this brings me to my next point, and this can be controversial, and this is not an always thing across the board when it comes to OCD. Again, a lot of the stuff we're talking about are generalizations. But with OCD and anxiety, uh, I often say that uh, it, it's not a thought problem. It's a feeling problem. 
what that means is, generally speaking, you and I can rationalize our way out of the obsessions of the fears that we have. When we think about it, we can usually get to a point where we can say, yeah, I know that thought doesn't really make sense because we have this logical part to our brain, even though we have this feared part of our brain that's kicking up real hard and it's it's uh, taking control of our life in some ways. But we have this logical side that says, yeah, I, I see my fear. Um, I feel it. Sure, it feels uncomfortable, but I see my fear and um, you know, I can kind of see it from another person's perspective. I can kind of think about it in terms of the grander picture of things. Uh, and I see that it doesn't really make sense. Some examples. Um, I know, ultimately speaking, that uh, throwing up is not the end of the world. Um, another person might think, you know, I know it's unlikely that I can kick a rock into the street and cause a 27 car pileup, though it, it feels uncomfortable. You know, I, I, I know it's just a little rock. It's probably not going to cause this horrible, terrible thing. Another person might logically also say, I know I can't telepathically give another person an erection. Now, we can logic our way through those things, we think about it all that we want, but the problem is this, the feeling that we get as a result of those thoughts, or even independently of those thoughts, is so uncomfortable and so unbearable, and sometimes even painful, that we would do anything to try to get rid of it. A neutral thought comes in, our fight or flight starts kicking up uh, because of the possible what if. That, hey, what if this thing happens? The possibility of it. Um, and then our brain tries to solve whatever that problem is because, again, our brain is a problem-solving machine. It hears these questions or sees these things in our experience and says, oh, well, what's my relationship to that thing? Oh, I wonder if that thing could hurt me. Uh, so it asks these questions. Why am I thinking this? Huh, that's weird. Where did that come from? What does that mean for me? Uh, how could this affect me? How can I fix this? Can this thing be avoided? Now, with all of those questions, again, those are just thoughts. Those are our reasonable questions that we have. If we see a snake on the ground as we're hiking, our brain's going to say, well, how do I get around this thing? Because that thing looks pissed. That thing looks like it's going to bite me and kill me. And I don't want that. So I'm going to try to get around that. Now, when it comes to these existential thoughts, or even with a, a, every type of other anxiety, we get caught up with these questions. Why am I having these thoughts? What does this mean for me? And it doesn't become this fun academic question or this uh, uh, question that we can uh, think about for a little bit and then kind of put to the side. It, it graduates to become this big and ultimate question uh, because this feeling that we get from it is so unbearable that we have to try to get rid of it. And that's typically what leads to our compulsions. Again, the compulsion is anything that we can do or think about to try to get rid of that uncomfortable feeling or to try to answer that question. So again, why OCD isn't a thought problem but a feeling problem is because if we had the thought without that uncomfortable feeling, generally speaking, we just wouldn't care. We wouldn't think about it at all. Um, an example of this is going to be, if you listen to the first episode, um, the example is going to be of, of hearing somebody else's fear and just not really caring. It just doesn't really affect us. We hear that other person person's fear and we go, oh man, uh, I wish I had your fear because of X, Y, and Z. Because we see that other person's fear and we don't get all bent out of shape. We don't feel the the personal emotional content of it, so we don't feel uncomfortable, so we don't, don't really have a reason to try to get rid of that fear. So therefore, we don't have to do any compulsions. Which leads me to another thing that that uh, I, I tend to believe. This is generally speaking, but um, I'm going to be the only therapist on earth that's that's going to tell you that feelings are stupid. All right, we feel these feelings way too much, especially those of us with anxiety or OCD. 
feelings are uncomfortable, they're awkward, they're inconvenient. Uh, They show up when we don't want them to. We feel too much of them when we don't want them to. Or we don't have them when we feel that we should have them. And we expect ourselves to have these feelings. So again, feelings are stupid. We give way too much credit to our emotional experience. So this isn't to say that feelings are completely useless, but they're information. They're not answers. They're they're guiding principles or they're guiding information, but they are not, uh, it's not a roadmap to what we should or shouldn't do exactly with our life. So back to our thoughts though, because we can rationalize our way out of this, a cognitive, in cognitive restructuring, we would recognize that nobody has ever solved these thoughts, or no one has really solved these thoughts, in the thousands of years of philosophical thinking and writings. And I haven't solved these problems in my hundreds or thousands of hours of doing compulsive thinking, um, a, a, a compulsive checking, compulsive reading. I haven't solved it. And here's the other part is, uh, I, I probably won't be able to solve it. Now, I added the word probably in there because here's one of the problems with all of this, and here's the promise that OCD is going to present to you. You might solve the problem. You could. I suppose it's possible because I can't say it's impossible. And I'm agreeing with your OCD on this. It's possible. You could solve it. You could get that answer to what you're ultimately supposed to do, to the meaning of life. You could get it in five minutes. You could get it by the end of this episode. You could get it tomorrow. You could get it in 30 years. Because you know what? Maybe. Maybe you are going to get it. And as I often say, we will all get the answers to all of our existential questions, whether they be religious or historical or existential, but we get them once we're dead. Or we'll never get them. That's a fun one. We may never get the answers, or we will. But with OCD, it's going to suggest that we need to have it. We need to get it right now. And the problem with that is, even if we could get the answers, OCD would jump in uh, maybe, you know, immediately or just a little bit after that and say, yeah, but what about X? Or uh, you didn't consider this issue. And then we'd just go, you're right, I didn't consider that possibility. And then we'd have to rehash the whole argument, start from the beginning, and then think about, uh, think about and read about and worry about and stress about and go through it all over again, because there's always going to be that next what if. Now, remember back to the very beginning of the episode. I told you that I was going to give you the answers to all of your existential questions, or at least a lot of the existential questions that my clients and I uh, often talk about. So here they are. I don't have them. I don't. And no one does. I know this is uncomfortable. I know this sucks. And I kind of, I kind of lied to you. I'll, I'll own up to that. What was the feeling that you had? What was the feeling that you had when I told you I had the answers and I was going to give them to you? Was it hope? Was it excitement? Was it optimism? Was there a tingling feeling? Was there a tightness feeling? Where in your body did you feel that feeling? Were there other times that you've had that, that feeling, that tightness, that tingling, that, that pulsating, that, uh, that hope? Now, also, when I told you I didn't have them, what did you feel then? Was it despair? Was it anxiety? Was it consistent with some of the other existential fears and discomforts that you've had that oftentimes leads to more and more compulsions? 
Did your chest tighten up? Did, your, did you get the butterfly feelings? Your shoulders tighten up. What did you get? Also, with both of those things, well, are there other times in your life or other situations that you also get those physical sensations? Now, you and I may never be able to rationally square the possibility that we don't have the, any meaning on this earth, or that I can't truly know my intentions or desires, or whether or not we're simply pawns in the matrix, or some simulation, or some fantasy, because that's uncomfortable stuff. And those are unanswerable questions that, sure, they, they might be fun to think about for a period of time. Philosophers have, have gotten tenure and made careers out of thinking about these things and writing about these things. The Matrix made up a billion dollars because of it. But we can't get the answers to them. But the feeling that you got at the very beginning, that maybe sense of optimism, that discomfort about, oh man, I was going to finally get the answer, or that feeling that you got just here at the end where I pulled the rug out from under you um, and told you I don't have the answers and I'm not going to be able to give the answers because I don't, I don't have them. I'm, I'm just a, a schmucky therapist with a microphone um, and not a philosopher. Um, that, that feeling you got is always going to come and it's going to go as it always does. So the big question for you is, would you be willing to tolerate that feeling for the time that it's there without trying to get rid of it or trying to change it into something else or trying to solve that riddle that brought you along in the first place? Just to feel the objective, momentary, and ever-changing physical sensations. Could you? Could we practice? Could we practice thinking about some of these uncomfortable thoughts? Now, I'm going to read a couple statements here. What I would love for you to do is just to listen to them. So if you have existential OCD, I just want you to hear these phrases. Now, I don't necessarily know if any of these things are true or if they're false, but I just want you to listen to them, and I want you to notice what feelings you get as I read them. Notice where they are in your body. Are they hot? Are they cold? Are they tingling? Are they moving? Um, does it hurt? Um, is it... Uh, but in this moment, not comparing it to what it always felt like, you're not hoping what it's going to be, and not getting caught up with the thought about, uh, uh, is this true? Does Kevin know something I don't? Um, but just to sit here and to see what the feeling is. So here we go. I may never know my purpose in life. There may not be a meaning to my life nor anybody else's. I may not be remembered after I die. Everyone may be having a better experience in life than me. Everyone I've ever met and loved may be a figment of my imagination. None of this may be real. Now the practice here is to sit in that feeling that you're getting for longer and longer and longer periods of time without trying to solve it, without trying to get rid of it, without trying to change it into something that it is or it isn't. But to just let it be there, because as I said, that feeling is always going to go away as it always does, as it always has. So the goal of this then for you is not to try to expect that you're going to get the answers from these existential questions. Because again, you might or you might not, but is to then sit there and tolerate this moment, this feeling that you're getting, 
Because as I said, you may actually get the answers. And if you do, write a book because you're going to be a billionaire. But you may get the answers in five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, four hours, 10 years, 30 years. At some point, you may get the answers. But the OCD is suggesting right now that you have to get the answer right now or else. So the goal here isn't to solve the question or to get the answer or to avoid the answer, but is to sit here in this moment with that feeling, because that feeling is just a feeling. And remember, feelings are stupid. Stop giving them so much credit. You get that feeling, we say, all right, maybe that answer is going to come. Maybe it will come to me, but you know what? I'm not going to try to hunt it down. It's either going to come to me or it's not. And if it comes, fantastic. I'll write that book and uh, give Kevin credit. That'd be fantastic. But if I get that answered, great. But what I can do or what I have to do right now is to sit here in my life, tolerating that feeling, because that feeling is going to go away. That sense of urgency, that pain, that discomfort is eventually going to pass and drift away. So let it and get on with your life. Do something else with your time. Do something else that's more meaningful than doing that same thing that you've done over and over and over and over and over again. You can and should work with a therapist to get some more uh, custom exercises for yourself. I just kind of went over a couple of things that you can do. Um, but a, a good OCD and uh, CBT therapist is going to be able to work through some of these things and to custom build some exposures just for your fear. And remember, ERP isn't easy. Being fully present and accepting of the discomfort that we get isn't easy. You think about it this way. There are monks out there who spend their entire life focused just on mindfulness, just on being present with the here and now. What gives you or me the audacity to think that you and I are going to be able to do that the first time? Or what gives you and I the audacity to think that we're going to become experts on it either ever or in conjunction with all the other stuff that we've got going on in our life. Give yourself a little bit of credit. Give yourself a little bit of grace and some forgiveness. If you're not an expert at mindfulness and being present with yourself right now, remember that this is a muscle that has to be exercised. And the more that I exercise it, the stronger I'll get. And it just takes some time. But the more you practice it, the easier it will get and the more that you let yourself feel that feeling and let it drift away, the more you find that that feeling does, in fact, drift away, and you'll start to reinforce that. So those are some things to think about, some things to practice. It does get easier if you practice it, and if you practice resisting the urge to answer those questions. If you have existential OCD, this is a particular focus for you. It doesn't mean that other people can't ask these questions or that these questions are bad. It just means that your brain happens to get caught on these questions. So having a diet of mind, this thought ain't for you. Like a diabetic shouldn't just go out and eat Cinnabon all day. These existential philosophical questions ain't for you. And that's okay. When we notice them, we just go, oh yeah, there's that thought. Uh, I'll, I'll come back to it or I won't, but I can't delve into that. Uh, a diabetic can't go to Cinnabon and be like, oh, I happen to see Cinnabon. I guess the universe wants me to nibble on that all day. It's not for them. These thoughts aren't for you. And that's okay. Because it, though you will give up on getting that, or maybe getting the promise of that uh, uh, peace or that excitement or that relief or the, uh, the thing that you get after you do compulsions, 
but you'll be able to get back to your life. And you won't get stuck in that quicksand of, of thought over and over and over again. So there's going to be a lot more information on existential OCD online. There's going to be some in books. You can also find a therapist out there. But that was some stuff to think about. But the more you practice it, the easier it gets. Keep pushing. Okay, we made it. Thank you so much for listening to the second episode of the FearCast. So I would love to hear your existential fears and to hear your specific questions about those fears. So if you have a question or a comment for a future episode, you can either leave a voice message at 714-594-9281 or visit the website at fearcastpodcast.com. Click on the submit a question link and leave your question there. So I did the existential OCD question today because people requested it. Somebody left me a message on the website and said, hey, could you do an episode on existential OCD? So I did. Uh, I was going to talk about groinal sensations, but uh, if I get questions, uh, I'm going to answer them. So uh, if you want those questions uh, answered, you've got to submit them through the website or give me a call. Please remember the FearCast is not a substitute for psychotherapy. If you have any questions about finding a therapist or need some extra help in your recovery, you can visit the Find Help page at fearcastpodcast.com. So until next time, take a risk, challenge yourself, and don't take your brain too seriously. Bye.